This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today we have a very special guest with us, Hugh Thomas, who's the CEO and co-founder of Ugly Drinks. And Ugly Drinks is a beverage brand that sells flavored sparkling water. Hugh's here to talk to us about his founder story, kind of dive a little bit deeper into the ugly mob, ugly squad that I know we're really excited to talk into They've had a really good focus on community-based marketing as well. So that's something we're going to hit on as well. But before I do all the talking, let's go ahead and have Hugh jump in here. And Hugh, welcome to the podcast. And before we jump into all the questions we have, if you want to go ahead and give kind of a quick intro to the audience about you and what Ugly Drinks is in your own words. I appreciate you inviting me on, Jay. And always nice to connect and speak with people who are passionate about at least learning more about what we're trying to do. So thank you for having me on. So I'm Hugh. Obviously, you can tell I'm not from America, right? Even though I do live here. I'm originally from the UK, uh, grew up in the Midlands there, moved to London. And then I moved here actually two years today to the US. So this is my anniversary living in the USA. Oh, nice. And obviously, (laughs) as we'll all know, the the last 12 months has been different to my first 12 months in America. (laughs) It's been slightly different. I live in New York now. I run the business globally. We have the UK office and a US office, but I run it from New York. We have team in California, Tennessee, Arizona, New York, London, all around the world now. And we're all pretty remote. So we've been working remote for a long time, even before this all happened. But I started the business just over four years ago in London. In the UK, we're the number one flavored sparkling water. So we are like the brands here that you'll see everywhere. And then we launched in the US just over two years ago now, and we're in about 10,000 stores. But as you know, and as you said, we've been building Omnichannel with a direct-to-consumer focus from day one. So always been a big passion around what we've been building around and certainly building around the community that discovered our brand and loves our brand. Yeah, that's great to hear. And, you know, I'm really excited to dive into everything you're doing. I mean, being number one in anything is not a small feat. So it's really great to be able to get to talk to you. And I want to ask you, so you're in that sparkling water space, beverage brand space. How did you really like get involved over here? Like what's your background and what's your story to get there? It's crazy. Cause, uh, I can't sometimes don't understand how I got here myself. Right. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? How did I end up doing this? But, um, beverage became a passion for me in my last job, really, I worked for Vitacoco, the coconut water business. But when I was a college student, I'd also worked for Vitamin Water. So I was a guy on campus with like a, an apartment full of be- bottles of beverages and just handing them out in bars, restaurants, you know, in, in the library, wherever people were. Kind of just caught the bug for beverage. There's just something special about the way people relate to the bottles or the cans they hold and what those cans and packages mean and the memories they bring up from childhood, from when you get older, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic, I've always find it fascinating. And everyone has an opinion on food and drink too. So, And I just find that really special. Everyone needs to eat and drink. Everyone either likes or doesn't like a food or a beverage. So that was just how I kind of got into beverage. And then working in my last job, met my co-founder, Joe. We were just working at such a great company at the time and decided to go and give it a go ourselves. So we became very passionate about the issues that sugar in beverage in particular causes. 
And obviously when you're drinking your calories, they just hit your body so much faster, hit your insulin spikes a lot more. Your body's not digesting anything because it's liquidized sugar. And so what Joe and I wanted to do was take the sugar and the bad stuff out of soda, which is the biggest beverage category. So when you do that, you basically end up with flavored water. But how can you get flavored sparkling water to be fun and speak to people that maybe don't buy it currently and maybe buy soda currently? Either young people who've never drunk soda or people that have had a soda addiction for years and want to look something for something healthier. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And then, yeah, it kind of went spiral from there. Yeah, now you're here. I think it's really interesting. One of the things that you kind of touched on early while you were talking about that story was your experience as working with vitamin water. And you really talked about handing out the bottles. And I think that was really just unique because I was thinking based on your branding and, you know, all of the effort that you guys throw over there, I think it really, you kind of see and connect the dots because the branding for ugly drinks is incredible. I love it. It's really fun and it looks really cool. So I want to jump into that, especially because I think your branding is really unique. Never have really seen anything like that in the space, especially for sparkling water. How did you land on the brand identity that that is ugly drinks and everything that comes with it? No, it's a great question. I think the brand was always born out of a, a want to rebel, a rebel against the status quo that was existing, whether it was soda or even recently, I guess, the modern direct-to-consumer branding style and that aesthetic. Never wanted to fit in. We don't really want to fit in. We want to stand out. And so in order to do that, you have to really reflect your values and reflect yourself. You shouldn't look at the competition. You should create a brand that really stands for what you stand for and what you want to disrupt. And that's kind of the, the thesis of everything behind the brand identity. It's, you know, there's a George Orwell quote, which really informed the brand, but it was in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolution react. So we wanted to kind of create a revolution in the style, the colors. We wanted to stand out on shelf. We didn't want to look like a regular natural flavored water. We wanted to take flavored water to people that would never buy it before. So we started that process and we we pushed our branding partners who are excellent to be ambitious, to be risky, to be daring. We took the same approach to the name. And I just think that led to us building a brand and an identity that was was risky, was out there. And it's just very hard for someone else to copy because it's so authentic. And it is so how much the team and the early team and now the team feels like the brand. So we don't have to make it up. We don't have to copy it because it's just what we think. It's what we say. And I think that's so important to brand identity nowadays. Yeah, it's really that brand team connection kind of. So the company and the brand itself and the people that are at the company are very connected. And I know you mentioned you work with a team to be able to develop that brand identity. How long was that process like? I guess, was it immediate or... Were you constantly refining? Like, what was the brand identity like? Was it the same at launch as it is today? No, definitely not. And I do think anyone who's out there starting a brand or evolving a brand would look at what we're doing now and be like, wow, there's a lot of detail and a lot of depth in that and a lot of refining. And the fact is, yes, we've never actually stopped designing. We are always iterating. You know, I'm probably briefing something in every day. And I think that's an evolution. So there's probably three big branding projects on the way there. So there's the very first iteration that we used to raise capital and initially build a team. And then there's the second version of that, which was the refinement. And then when you start, when we finally got to a bigger scale, then we did a bigger branding project to really double down and refine it. Because 
The reason it's important to us is because we're on so many stores and so many shelves. We're not always there to say, hey, buy us, or there's not always a Facebook ad popping up. So every time someone sees our package or interacts with it, we're selling millions of cans now. It needs to deliver when we're up against some of the biggest companies in the world. So design's been very important to us. But the actual process, I guess, in terms of evolving that final stage of the brand is probably six months beginning to end. And yeah, it's very, it takes a lot of energy to really get it right. And there's many times you're like, I just want this to be over. But that extra 20% and attention to detail usually pays off. And really, my biggest advice on packaging design that I have is sometimes sleeping on the work. And like when something scares you or makes you feel a little nervous in a, in a meeting, don't reply immediately saying you don't like it. Just say, cool, I'm going to take this away. I'll think about it overnight. You always think about the work differently when you wake up the next day. And I think that's kind of ugly is the result of us really stretching our branding agencies and then sleeping on it and not reacting immediately and settling and then coming back with very clear feedback. And I think that's kind of how we got to our design today. I think that's great advice for any founder, whether they're in B2C or B2B. I think anyone can take a little bit of extra time to let some ideas marinate. I know even personally from personal experience, you know, sometimes when you sit on an idea, you kind of have a gut reaction towards it, but you have to have that process where you take a step back and and make sure that your gut matches up with maybe what the reality of the actual idea is. So I think that's a really interesting approach that you take there. And branding is a big part. And I know we've talked a lot about, you know, the ugly drinks brand and stuff like that. But you also have this awesome community marketing piece that's going on as well. The the ugly mob that I've seen on the Internet. So what is that all about? Yeah. So when we started the brand in the UK very early on, kind of in the first few weeks, though, there were a bunch of people discovering us online. This is like four years ago, five years ago at this point. So a long time before kind of the Shopify ecosystem that is so popular now and so many direct-to-consumer brands. But we just noticed there were people across the UK finding our brand and loving it and saying, I've stopped drinking this, now I drink this. And it's just become, it's grown and grown. And we recognized that there was a group of people out there kind of looking for life after soda and life after. And so a lot of people get very passionate about what we're trying to do for the world, but also passionate about certain flavors we have, the variety, the branding, obviously what we're standing for. We donate money to a great cause, Girl Up, which is a gender equality charity. So hopefully people are getting behind this small David versus Goliath startup. And so we've got really close with our community. And this year, one of the things we did is we decided to almost take the flavor development to the community because they're so involved. The ideas we were getting emailed in were so crazy. We were like, we've got to tap into the the mob or the squad, as you say. And so this year we started launching new flavors every single month. And we are sending a survey out People can pick up a case of the limited edition, send us exactly what they think, send us another 10 ideas. We're looking through the ideas. Some of them are way too crazy for us to ever put out, however much I want to. But there's some genius in there. And it's just been really exciting because we're getting live feedback. If you put a product into a store, you probably won't hear back how it's doing for 12 months from having the idea. Whereas with direct consumer and with what we've been able to do, we're getting feedback within two weeks of launching something. So we did a marshmallow flavor. We did a Dr. Ugly flavor orange soda flavor, flavors of seltzer that no one's had before. Our consumers pick up a case and love it. And I think that's a good example of how the community has been really exciting. And then we have private Facebook group as well, which has been interesting. So people can find it and request to join. But in there, it's like kind of the really loyal crew. And obviously on social media, everybody's welcome. You know, we offer special discounts, special pricing, early access to merchandise is coming soon. So swag's coming. Just really hope to kind of 
build a community of people that love what we stand for, want to get involved in what we're building, listen to them particularly is what one of my favorite parts of it and hopefully build something they want rather than just something we think they want. And that's kind of been the arguably the most satisfying thing as a Brit in America to see someone like buying it in <laughs> Alaska or something like that. It's just so, <laughs> so, yeah, I love that part of it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I want to actually follow up on what you talked about over there. One, for sure, I definitely want to make sure I get this question before I don't forget it. What's the craziest flavor that's, or the couple of craziest flavors that's been recommended? And the second thing is, how are you, uh, on for the more technical side of things and the more actionable things, how are you collecting the data for the feedback? Yeah, so when we first started, we used Typeform. So we have a, a set of email flows, obviously. We use Clavio for that. And then we, you know, once somebody buys into a certain limited edition, they enter into a different flow. So a couple of weeks after they've received their product, which is timed obviously with when it's shipped, they'll receive a survey from us. You know, our type forms have actually got pretty established now and quite complicated, which I used to be able to do them, but now we have someone much brighter than me doing it. But yeah, and we get very quick feedback. And what we see is just, you know, the response rate on the survey is so much higher than I ever thought it would be. People really want to tell us what they thought. I mean, they really feel part of it. And I think that's pretty epic. In terms of ideas, when does this podcast go out, Jay? This podcast is going to be going out in the first week of November. So we are launching next week. Maybe it'll be last week. But for the people listening, we launched Pumpkin Spice flavored seltzer <laughs> but that's one we've actually done but you can imagine we've had everything from peanut peanut butter and jam sandwiches to nashville hot chicken to um what was that cheese pizza was one i actually had the other week because how can we can we make a mozzarella pizza flavored sparkling water the answer to that one is no from my team apparently but um i'll keep pushing and if anybody listening is like let's do that then please email me so i can build my campaign for that to be done <laughs> But yeah, the, the ideas are crazy. Some of them, you know, we're always trying to tap into nostalgia. So, you know, the flavors we've done so far should remind you of a taste you maybe used to be able to drink, but you stopped because it's unhealthy. So that's kind of the real thing we're focused on at the moment. But pumpkin spice tastes just like you'd imagine. And so we're pretty excited to hear how people feel about that next week. And we've got some other fun ones in the in the bag coming up soon. So yeah, it's just... Using these tools, test. we started really small. We started making very small runs of the limited editions. Every time we do it, we add something else into that process. We add a different type of content, email, a different new way of launching it. We have a new website launching next week too. So that will be live for anyone listening now. You can go and check that out. So every time we're adding another layer to what we're doing and it's kind of having the monthly cycles almost holds us to improving ourselves every month. Whereas when we didn't launch stuff every month, kind of drifted a little bit. So it's actually been great organizationally as well as for the community. Yeah, constant growth. And I think that's something everyone can kind of focus in on as well. That's it. So yeah, we've been really enjoying it. And uh, it's just the beginning. And hopefully some of the best performing flavors from direct to consumer, we will show retailers and maybe one day we'll be into a big supermarket and big grocery store that people can go and actually buy forever rather than it just being limited edition. So hopefully it plays all the way through. Yeah, I'm sure those new flavors definitely keep you on your toes. But so talking about, you know, you mentioned that you guys, it's really cool that you can, you know, people in Alaska are buying this and people all over the U.S. and stuff like that. And I know you guys have entered the U.S. market pretty recently. You mentioned at the beginning that you've been here for for two years now. So what was that entry to the U.S. market like? Was it any different than 
kind of like the marketing strategy you had to take when launching initially in the UK? Yeah, totally. Much more different than I ever thought it would be as well. So many things are different. Even the can size, right? In the US, it's a 12 fluid ounce can, you know, the regular can, which is in the metric system, 355 milliliters of liquid. In the UK, the regular can size is 330 milliliters of liquid. So immediately, even the first thing we tried to do was design the can was slightly different and the logo had to be... So, and the number of things that are different just adds up. That being said, I think the macro thing is consumers want to drink less sugar and people are trying to be healthier. So that's the same thing everywhere. And stores and retailers and shoppers are thinking the same thing. So we've benefited from that. And then obviously, a lot of the great tech and a lot of the great digital software we use also scales internationally. Because we'd got expertise in Shopify, et cetera, in the UK, we were then very easily able to apply that from the US. And actually, a lot of our Shopify and kind of D2C businesses run from the UK still. Despite everybody seeing the ads and the creative and getting their deliveries here, you know, you can actually run it remotely and run it from different countries. So that's been great. In terms of retail and the retail approach and the size of this country, it's just a different ballgame altogether. And so learning how retailers here work, learning how factories work, learning how, oh, flying from New York to Los Angeles is like flying from London to the middle of Africa. (laughs) The scale of this country is so big, you have to just have different processes. There's multiple time zones here to get used to. And so, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. But in principle, I think consumers everywhere want to drink less sugar and they want a brand that is authentic and they want fun. And hopefully we're delivering that in both countries. So we try and keep that consistent and the branding as consistent as we can. Even the, in there, there's some little details that, you know, maybe people aren't thinking about like the can size. Like, I mean, I, I'm not a D2C or a CPG founder. So, you know, I probably wouldn't think of that. But little details like that can really make the difference in terms of how you're marketing and how you're reaching that target audience based on what their preferences are. So I think that's really cool. Rewinding a little bit back. So we've talked about, you know, how you guys have grown. You guys are in the U.S. market. You know, you have this great direct-to-consumer channel as well. Take me back to the beginning of Ugly Drinks. Where did you spend your money in terms of growing your team? Like, what were some of the first hires that you made? Like, how did you turn this into the behemoth that it is today? But it was not a behemoth yet. I, I mean, <laughs> outside. It probably would have felt like one from where we started it. I mean, Joe and I started this business around my kitchen table when we were like 23, 24 in London. We didn't know what we were doing. We sent a few emails and got some responses. We kind of just went step by step. We found a manufacturer who'd make a product. We raised a little bit of money (laughs) that right now we'd probably go through so quickly, right? In terms of capital raising and like, but at the time it got us off the ground. And then the initial team we built, and now this is four or five years ago, Orla, who is our head of direct to consumer now, started as an intern in London, going around stores, telling people they should buy flavored sparkling water for the first time. So we hired bunch of graduates out of university to help me and Joe basically walk around London with rucksacks full of drinks and be like, hey, stock this in your store. Do you want this? At the same time in the evenings, we were like, well, how do you make this Shopify thing work? How can we get this working? How do we run Facebook ads? Because now you can listen to a podcast like yours or go on YouTube and watch. But four or five years ago, we were still learning who was the person to listen to in the ecosystem. How do I learn how to teach myself this stuff? And what is performance marketing? So I'm sure there's people out there who've done it for 20 years screaming at me now. But anyway, that was new to me. (laughs) 
Yeah, so we built it that way and we went store by store, got into Selfridges, which is a big, famous department store in London. And then we got into Whole Foods in the UK and we were doing demos in store every weekend, stood there sampling drinks. I probably did demos 250 days out of 365 in the first year of the business. So I was in first on first name terms with the staff at Whole Foods, but I almost felt like I was turning up for a, a job, <laughs> like anywhere everything was. People would ask us where stuff was stocked in the store and we'd actually know pretty much every item. But that was kind of how we built the business was like one by one. And then we met investors on that journey. We met investors whilst doing demos, in fact. And then once there was a bit more money in the business, we could hire an operations manager. We outsourced some of the bookkeeping. We up improved the branding and then things start to move on from there. So it's been a case of just going step by step and learning. If I was going to start another business today, I'd do lots of things differently. But that's kind of the beauty of being a first time founder, I think, is just scrappy, being scrappy, making things happen and making mistakes along the way as well, which we've made many of. Yeah, we definitely feel that over here at Trend as well, being in a startup environment. There's only really a few of us on the team, but you know, you have to be scrappy and work with the resources that you have. So I know you mentioned one of the things You know, today, a lot of people can listen to a podcast, go to YouTube, learn about performance marketing or learn about other different topics, how to set up a Shopify store and all of that stuff. And I know, you know, as a first time entrepreneur, you mentioned that, you know, you had to really learn a lot of those things on your own. I'm sure you had some people that were really inspirational and really good mentors. Like what are some brands or or people that you really like look up to that have really helped you get to where you are right now? Oh, it's a great question. Obviously, having worked at Vitacoco, just watching how that business has been built and kind of, we were lucky, Joe and I got to spend time in the US and in the UK. So we kind of got to see how a global beverage company was run and just the passion of the founding team there and the, you know, you just watch how people operate. I think that was a big absorption of information for Joe and I just to see the energy and the way a team's like high-fiving and having fun whilst they're working hard. I think was a big inspiration for us to leave a brand, leave to build a brand that was fun. There's been a bunch of mentors along the route for us, other founders, friends who are founders. We had a big community when we were kind of growing up as entrepreneurs in London of other friends who have founded businesses the similar time to us. A lot of them are doing very well now. So it's been kind of fun to grow with other people. And I'm sure people listening have those friends and that peer group around them who's helped them. List of people that we've bumped into or been introduced to then helped us out and they might help you out two years after you meet them is, is very long. You know, whether it's social media, graphic design, photography, doing the odd shift on a Saturday morning. You know, the number of people who've helped Ugly to where it gets to is in the number of hundreds, right? I wish I could list everyone. Even my mum's done a demo in Birmingham in England. <laughs> That's the amazing thing. Like, I obviously get to speak on behalf of the company as the founder, but, you know, this is the work of lots of people and the partners of ours, the, the agencies and everything around you, the, the lawyers, the accountants, and then obviously the core team at Ugly who put in insane hours of work and passion into this business. So I'm the one who gets to do the podcast, so I'm very lucky. But, you know, there's a lot of people who've inspired us. And then in big business too, People like in the UK, Richard Branson was always a hero of mine growing up, just somebody who's a maverick who started stuff. And there's many other brands that have inspired us. And also, you know, artists, chefs, David Chang in New York has always been a big inspiration for us in terms of the way he ripped the rule book up. So any of those people that kind of look at the status quo and rip it up, I think we are aspiring to be like and following in the footsteps of. 
Yeah, and it's definitely reflected in your brand, like you mentioned earlier. So, so I can definitely connect the dots over there and it makes a lot of sense. I know we're almost coming up to time on the podcast over here. So before we kind of end it, I want to ask as well, you know, you've been part of this growing thing for the last few years now. And, you know, Ugly is all over the world now, you know, with your direct-to-consumer channel and everything like that. What are some of the challenges that that you kind of face? I know we talked a lot about your successes, but what are some of the challenges that you face? And um, if you have any advice for founders out there, even maybe marketers, because, you know, you said you were heavily involved in the marketing process as well. Yeah, that's my thing. That's my, like, real passion at the business is getting involved in that side of things. But, yeah, I mean, certainly this year, I mean, this year is a great example, but every year... The biggest advice for anyone is just to look after themselves. I think I've been guilty of not looking after myself and prioritizing the business over my own priorities or own health. And I actually think you're much better at your job or much more in a better place to be creative or to come up with better ideas or to manage people better when you are looking after yourself better, whether that's exercise, diet, sleep, taking time off, which I'm bad at. And I'm nowhere perfect on this, but I think it's a process and it's a journey because you, when you start working on something you're so passionate about, it's so easy to spend all your time doing it, which is great because it's so much better than being miserable behind a desk at a job you don't like. But there is a danger of getting obsessed with it and a danger of putting everything into it and associating yourself with the highs and lows so much. So my advice, certainly this year when everyone's sat at home and not socializing and not traveling, is to look after yourself as number one because I think it will make work more enjoyable and your quality of your work better. So I think that's my number one piece of advice. And it might have been different a year ago if you'd asked me that. I'd have probably given you an answer about managing cash flow, but that's where we are today. So I just think it's so important. Yeah, well, I think you're firmly in the uh, Jeff Bezos camp. I read a story, I think a couple of days ago that, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that only get a few hours of sleep and Jeff Bezos makes sure to get eight hours of sleep a day. So I think, yeah, you could definitely relate to the uh, relaxing and taking time for yourself. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Hugh, thanks so much for for joining us on the podcast. Really appreciated having you on the podcast over here. Uh, It was great to hear your founding story and just everything that you guys have done to help grow the business and just kind of peeling back some of the layers that have been built up over the last few years. Before we end the podcast, I'd love to give you the opportunity to, to talk a little bit about, you know, what's next for Ugly Drinks and where people can find more about you and maybe purchase some as well. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. So yeah, you can find us online at uglydrinks.com and you can sign up to the mailing list there and you'll be the first to hear about the next flavor that's coming out every month. If you use the code UGLYHUE at checkout, which my marketing will not be happy that I'm giving out, there's a little <laughs> cheap discount in there that people can use. Uh, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on Twitter, Ugly Drinks, you can find us. And I'm Ugly Hugh. So if anybody wants to get in touch with something I said or has a question, DM me. I usually reply. <laughs> I'm pretty good at staying on top of my inbox. So would love to hear from people. And yeah, if you have any questions or follow up on this, let me know. Well, great, Hugh. Thanks so much for that. And we'll definitely have links for that stuff in the podcast show notes. So that way, you know, people can get their ugly drinks and get their uh, sparkling water on. So Hugh, thanks so much again for joining the podcast. Just really appreciate having you on here. And for everyone that's listening out there, appreciate you listening in, tuning into the DTC pod, and we will see you next time.